is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. You are listening to the News for the Soul radio network. News for your soul. Life-changing broadcasts to souls around the world since January 1997. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. Next up, it's time for Light Body Healing with Dr. Laura. Let's bring her on to reintroduce herself, her show, and what's up for today. Welcome back, Dr. Laura. Hey, Nicole. Thanks for having me back. I love doing the show uh, every first and third Thursday of the month, and I'm so excited for today. Um, I am Dr. Laura, functional medicine specialist and intuitive healer, and I merge those two together to help my clients get deep and multi-dimensional healing from their chronic disease and stress in their life and anything else they're looking to heal and upgrade. Oop, did we lose you, Dr. Laura? <laughs> oh, I'm here. I don't, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yep. The floor is yours. <laughs> awesome. So today I have with me, uh, my guest is Dr. Catherine Toomer, a family medicine and community health physician and founder and CEO of Health Wellness and Weight Loss Centers. She created what became her one-on-one whole you total weight loss program 20 years ago when she was herself obese and insulin-dependent diabetic and diagnosed with congestive heart failure but was told she was too high risk when seeking help to lose weight and control her diabetes. Using the program that she developed, she lost 60 pounds in six months, got off the insulin, survived her CHS when told she had only a 50% chance of living five years. She has now converted her program to a new online group coaching course, again called Total Wellness and Weight Loss. And welcome, Dr. Sumer. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you today. So I first want to give you the floor to hear uh, your story firsthand about your own journey and um, also to, you know, about being a physician throughout this dynamic, I'm sure, was uh, was really challenging. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I went to a medical school, Michigan State University, that really emphasized the biopsychosocial approach to healthcare and to patient care. So it's the whole person. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I've always used that approach. And so when it came to my own diagnosis, I went, I just used the same. Um, part of what uh, was the problem is that it wasn't widely used by, at that point, this was 20 years ago. Um, even though I had, you know, learned it in med school and also in um, residency. And so I um, had used it to help people reverse chronic disease. I had, you know, helped my father reverse his diabetes, others reverse, you know, their issues. 
but I hadn't applied it to myself at that point. And because of the stress of my job, because of the stress of a growing family, I just started, you know, succumbing to a lot of that and gaining weight and my diabetes, which runs in my family, became an issue. And then one month after my daughter was born, I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. It's called peripartum cardiomyopathy, which is not very common. However, I knew what it was because um, when I lost my first patient in residency, it was a 17-year-old with the same diagnosis. And so um, to say I was scared and overwhelmed was an understatement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also being on the other side of what I realized was truly a medical divide. I, even though I was a medical professional myself and I understood the information, I still found that people were talking to my husband instead of to me about their findings. Or they would... Um, not speak to me as if I understood what they were talking about. And so they would use, you know, layman's terms for medical uh, issues when I, you know, knew clearly what they were talking about. And, mm-hmm. um, and, but the most significant thing that happened being a physician with a significant diagnosis is that everyone around me was trying to minimize what was happening. They didn't want me to have the diagnosis that I had because they knew the high mortality rate and they just it was difficult for them to accept and therefore they kept trying to come up with other reasons why I was having the symptoms I was having. Hmm, that's so Even though I knew better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, is another reason why a doctor should never treat their family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um because you know you we just get naturally, you know, we're, we're too close but um, I, I mm-hmm. find that to be true as well that, and I, you know, I find in my, my Western medicine practice as a clinical pharmacist that mm-hmm. you can be honest and real with your patients without necessarily scaring them. You know, like you can, exactly. you can convey the gravity of a situation, but also mm-hmm. in an, I think in an empowering way to really yes. make, hopefully help them not feel so confused, lost, helpless, you know, all of, all of the things that we all feel whenever we get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that empowerment is very important because it does change what happens after that, that, that diagnosis. The more empowered a person feels and the more in control they feel, the, more, um, the better their outcome, the, the, the easier it is to treat, and um, they generally have fewer complications. Yes. Um, so can you give us a little bit more detail and description about what the biopsychosocial approach entails and also the okay. way that you um, sort of bring that forward in your practice? All right. Well, biopsychosocial is, if you break down the word, the biology, the psychology, and the sociology of a diagnosis or the person. We are, you know, a multifaceted, and so... When addressing the biology, of course, those are the symptoms. That's how the body works, how the body functions, what, you know, or it's you know malfunctioning for whatever reason. Um, and so you address the symptoms and the cause of those symptoms. Um, you also address psychology 
either is because it contributes to the symptoms or it's a reaction to the symptoms or reaction to the diagnosis, and that has to be addressed. Um, it, it's not enough just to fix the biology. You have to make sure that the person's fine psychologically from that diagnosis. And then the sociology. You have to take into consideration how it affects their family, how it affects their jobs, how it affects their day-to-day life. And unless those things are addressed and taken into consideration, um, it's easy to overprescribe. It's easy to um, not help a person, or at least because um, if there is something that involves family involvement, it's really important that they know what's going on, so you bring them in. And so, um, so using that approach to everything um, really helps in making sure that a person is a their whole person is addressed and they're taken care of completely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think I think diabetes is a great example of where this can be so powerful because. You know, um, you live in South Carolina. I grew up in East Tennessee. You know, a lot of that mm-hmm. that wonderful Southern food is mm-hmm. it tastes great, but it's not good for us. And that social aspect, you know, it's one thing to just tell a patient, well, you need to get your blood sugar under control. You know, exercise more, eat less, blah blah blah. But <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not going to be successful when you have this cultural ingrainment of, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I said, these foods that we enjoy in the South, but we know aren't good for us. Exactly. And also just recognizing that even that process of eating less, exercising more, if there is, there's also gen- a genetic component to how successful that's going to be. And mm-hmm. so, um, so one of the things I've done is um, I kind of created what I, I call um, like a memo. I was like, just get the memo. Basically, it's a minimal effort for maximum outcome because what that does, it helps people ease into what it is they need to do. If you throw too much at them at once, they get overwhelmed and they do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so what I generally do is I look at their social, I do look at, especially with weight loss. Now, I do weight loss because weight is often the symptom of other things that are going on Most people don't know what those other things are, but they notice their weight. So they'll come to me for weight loss, but I'm looking for a cause. And so usually that's where my biopsychosocial training comes in. I start looking for Mm -hmm. reasons that, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's physiology. So I look for like prediabetes, insulin resistance, hypothyroidism, and that sort of thing. And then I look at psychological reasons. What is their relationship to food and why is food reacting the way it is in their body? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Um, you know, is it, you know, are they stress eaters? And then look at the sociology. Who does the cooking? Who does the grocery shopping? How, are they, how do they celebrate? Do people celebrate around food? And so it's really important then to, especially in the South, to help people figure out a way where they can still celebrate they can still do all these things without having to give up everything because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not helpful if people show, express their love with food and you tell them, I can't eat it or I won't eat it. Um, in the long yeah. run, the stress that creates could harm them far more than taking a spoonful of that rich macaroni and cheese. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so 
Yeah, so let's go in the stress direction because like you alluded to before, that they, you know, that presents itself both in our biology and our psychology. And so um, how do you address that with your patients? I know you're an NLP practitioner as well. So Mm -hmm. is that where um, the NLP comes in or um, let's dive into that? Well, um, I'm also a hypnotherapist. And generally what I I got certified in NLP and hypnotherapy because um, another physician who I had been um, working with essentially told me I was already doing it and I might as well get certified in it so that I could, <laughs> you know, it's recognized <laughs> for what I'm doing. And so mm-hmm. what I do actually, it, it's a lot of, I also have a very strong psychology background, so I do a lot of counseling. And so essentially what, I, what NLP is, for those who are listening and don't know, it's a neuro-linguistic programming and essentially what it is, it helps people reframe um, or remap their mind so that they it's easy to get people who look at something one way and then sort of shift the way they think about it so that it is they get the results they want. So it lessens their stress. And it's a problem-solving mechanism, essentially. And mm-hmm. so what I do with, with stress is I look for the cause first, find out what it is that's, that's you know, causing the stress, and then address it. So if it is something that's physiologic, I'll address that. If it's something that's social, we'll talk through it and figure out what it is. Is it, you know, is it with the person they're interacting with? Is it the person themselves? Um, is it because they're not getting enough sleep? Or, you know, they have, like in my case, I had a newborn, and I couldn't take care of my newborn because I had been given a di- I, I I couldn't breathe, essentially. I had no energy and no and Um, and no reserve and no capacity to take care of my own child. And so when things like that happen, you can either fix the problem or help people deal with the problem more efficiently and cope with it a little bit better. And so that's essentially how, you know, stress, um, how I address stress. Oh, I love that. So, um, so let's, So I just want to, let's use the example of, since you're a weight loss expert, let's, let's really focus on that. And, and, and sort of, we already talked about this a little bit, but, you know, people's habits and their relationship with food, how Mm -hmm. do you help people shift that? Uh, Or maybe even like, I'm sure it starts with like bringing awareness to what that relationship Mm -hmm. is, you know, especially when we're at the beginning of the journey. Maybe we've mm-hmm. just been diagnosed with insulin resistance. We already know that we need to probably drop a few pounds. So um, what does that look like in terms of creating the container to you really mm-hmm. have a successful journey? Okay. Well, um, that is really the cornerstone a lot of what I do mostly because when I was diagnosed, I was simply too tired, overwhelmed, to do anything strenuous, to do anything too complicated. It had to be easy. It had to be somewhat mindless. Um, otherwise, I just, I, I couldn't handle anything more. And I started noticing that when I tweaked my habits, I didn't necessarily change them. I just would tweak them a little bit or I would um, add something to them in small increments. 
And that seemed to have a big impact. And then over time, they became second nature. And so for an example, um, I have, you know, people who always say, I want to drink more water. And dehydration causes a lot of problems. A lot of fatigue is really often related to dehydration more than anything else. Um, Mm -hmm. Sleep is affected by dehydration. Food digestion and how much, what nutrients you get out of food and what triggers your brain to tell you if you're full or not or if you need to eat more is also related to dehydration. And so what I do is tell people, for example, if you, you know you do something all the time, eat. We always eat. That's just something that's a given that we're going to do. And so tie your water intake to your eating. So before putting anything else in your mouth, drink water. There's no hard or fast rule at the beginning of how much you should drink. If you're not drinking hardly anything, any amount is going to be better. And so just having people just drink water or drink a fluid, if they won't drink water, figure out ways so that they can get that fluid in and, and they have some incentive either by, you know, infusing it with lemon or by using a sugar-free sweetener, just something that gets them to the point where they can eventually the full amount of fluid they need in a day. And, mm-hmm. and so that's how I – and I just do that with every single thing. So um, a lot of times when people are insulin resistant or diabetics, they crave carbohydrates, which, of course, then makes their blood sugar worse which then makes them crave carbohydrates even more. It's one of those paradoxical systems in our body that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the symptoms make the, the, the disease worse and the disease create the symptoms. And so what I, what I do instead of telling people don't eat sweets or don't eat carbs because they're already, their body's fighting against that, what I do is like if you eat a carbohydrate, do this with it. Eat a protein eat some healthy fat, never eat a carbohydrate by itself. Try to eat only one carbohydrate at a time. You know, if you do eat something sweet, make sure it's after a no-carb meal. You know, those type of things. And what ends up happening is it breaks that craving cycle. And so eventually what happens is people are just like, oh, they stop craving carbs, they stop craving sweets, they stop, you know, and, and then their insulin resistance, their diabetes starts reversing their weight starts to drop because of it, and mm-hmm. so it, it adds more incentive. So there's a visual incentive. There's a feel-good incentive because also when blood sugars are normalized, fatigue goes away. Um, you feel more in control of eating, and so that's empowering. And so it just is a, there's a psychological, physiologic, and social aspect because what that does also is if people share food as a, a, a way of showing love, you have a plan, they'll have a plan of exactly how they could have that food without it creating a problem for them. Absolutely, and and I love that you know when you talk about you know using food to express love, which you know so many cultures do. And it's so natural mm-hmm. for us that I and I and I think that's one of the things that I feel you know both you and I are called to do with our clients and our patients is to bring the information that we know about food and nutrition 
to the forefront to really help people mm-hmm. make better choices. So instead of, you know, using maybe that corn oil or seed oil or whatever it is that we would normally make something yummy with, <laughs> you know, changing mm-hmm. that to a coconut oil or an avocado oil or something, you know, that mm-hmm. our body that really helps dampen down that inflammation. Mm-hmm. And so like, and, you said, like and, helping, and, and, yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's just, and a lot of times it's just people don't know. So once you tell them, they're yeah. fine. It's it's an easy transition for them. Yeah, and I feel like it's such, it brings such a relief to, uh, like you said earlier, so you don't have to tell people no or to like to totally give something up. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of how to make it healthier. And, and then, you know, also too, maybe just, uh, you know, a little less in quantity because once mm-hmm. our brain's satiation uh, switches get recalibrated, then our body mm-hmm. will naturally tell us also, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. okay, this is when you've had enough because, you know, and you know this probably better than anyone is when our blood sugar is not well regulated in our body, those, uh, and, and by satiation, I mean that feeling of feeling full and satisfied, that switch gets a little skewed and that also feeds into that cycle that we could find ourselves in of the cravings and then, Mm -hmm. or the overeating and not realizing that we're overeating till it's too late. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, and our bodies are designed. I mean, when you think about how our bodies are designed, we are animals, we are on, we are part of a food chain. And so we are designed for two things. I mean, we're designed essentially to make sure that we survive so we can, you know, reproduce. And so mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that our brain is hardwired for. One is if uh, our fight or flight reaction to pre- uh, protect us from being eaten by another animal. And then the other is to prevent starvation. And so and the, the way to prevent starvation is to drive our appetite. Our appetite is driven by the one substance that's broken down in our mouth. Everything else has to doesn't get digested. It gets broken into smaller pieces, but doesn't get digested mm-hmm. until it gets into the intestines, except in our mouth. Our saliva starts breaking down carbohydrates to tell the brain, your drug's coming, drive your appetite so that, you, so that this person will eat more and more and more. And so, which is one of the reasons why I always recommend that the first thing you put in your mouth should never be a carbohydrate. Don't give the, your brain that message right off the bat. You know, eat some protein, eat some healthy fat first, then add your carbon. After, mm-hmm. because what that does is it 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 starts the other mechanism of satiety as opposed to driving. It starts driving you towards telling your brain you're eating and you're going to be full soon, as opposed to driving your brain saying eat more, eat more, eat more. Right, and so I I think this is also a really super empowering point that I want to make sure everyone out there hears is that when you have those cravings, that's your survival brain, or that's what some people call like the Mm -hmm. the lizard brain, that that, Mm -hmm. uh, unconscious biological survival aspect of our bodies and our brains and how we evolved over all these years, millions of years. And so it's really not your cravings are not your fault (laughs) Mm -mm. you know which I think will allow because I feel like you know especially when we're going through this 
weight loss struggle, because I think a lot of us do struggle with it, until we find the right tools and the right balance, that we blame ourselves and we beat up on ourselves a lot. Mm-hmm. So are there well, ways that, that you help people deal with that too? I just remind them. I think what it is is that um, weight loss is a multi-billion dollar industry. Those who make money off of weight loss don't make money off of long-term success. They make money off of repeated need. And so the system's usually set up to create the weight loss people want, but not to maintain it. And so the weight comes back. And so what ends up happening, the messages that's been given out to people is that the programs help you lose weight, but the weight gain is your fault. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I do is I remove that blame and I explain very clearly what the mechanism is and why it's so difficult and then create a system that's actually pretty easy. Once you um, – I, I, I put it this way, you know, I just kind of – Everyone has a stew that they can that will sustain them for the rest of their lives, and that's will the components may change a little bit, the amounts of each of those components may change a little bit, but the overall stew pretty much stays the same, and each person has their own. Once you've figured out what that stew, what the components and the amounts that go into that stew are, it becomes very easy for that person then to, you know, create the results they want and then maintain them forever because it's theirs. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, for someone who is insulin resistant, you focus a little bit more on carbohydrates. For someone who is an overeater but is not insulin resistant, you focus on something else. And, you know, so there's all these different things and components. And, again, that's why the biopsychosocial system is important because, you know, depending on why someone, you know, what triggers someone's appetite, what triggers someone, you know, feeling a certain way, um, you know, really, dep- you know, changes what it is that needs to happen with that individual. And which is why programs that are individualized that allow people to learn what it is they need to pay attention to are helpful because, you know, cookie cutters just don't work. There's some things in medicine that, that, you know, you can do the same thing for every single person because it's the standard. Every person will respond differently, but it's still the standard. When it comes to health and wellness and weight loss, um, there is no standard. There are certain things that the body does, and that's just the way the body works, and there's nothing we can do to change that. But what each individual has to do to control those processes may be different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's why... You know, I love this service that you're providing to the world because it is so needed to help people understand their own bodies and but also how their lifestyle is really affecting their biology. So like you mentioned earlier, if they're not getting enough sleep, if their job is, you know, super stressful or maybe even their job is not that stressful but they're not happy there, you know, Things mm-hmm. like that can really affect how we eat, how we approach food. Um, and even just that baseline stress can increase the inflammation in our body in such a way that it mm-hmm. can in and of itself elevate our insulin levels. Is, yes. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, our moods affect what happens to food in our body. 
And so one of the things I always tell people, if you're going to eat something because you want it, sit and pay attention to what you're doing and enjoy it. Let all your senses get involved. And let your, your sense of smell, taste, vision, you know, really focus. Otherwise, it, it's wasted. I mean, if you're going to eat a piece of chocolate cake, instead of sitting there feeling guilty about it, sit and enjoy it if you're going to do it anyway. Because what happens when you enjoy it, your dopamine levels in your brain go up rather than your cortisol levels from your adrenal glands go up. And so if you're, if you're enjoying it and, yes, there are calories involved, yes, there are things that, you know, can cause weight gain. However, it's not as efficient when you're enjoying it. When you're stressed, your body gets really efficient at taking what you eat and turning it into fat. And so um, our moods affect what happens to food in our body. And so I always stress that. And then the other is simply that um, how, how we approach food is really how we approach life is kind of how we approach food. Um, if we're constantly stressed and we're constantly rushing and we're constantly doing, the same thing happens when we eat. And when those things happen, um, we're simply, none of our systems are as efficient. And so you, you can't hear your body. You can't hear what the change is. You can't feel the things that are happening. You're not in tune because you're too distracted. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, I say all that just to say that, you know, don't underestimate the importance of the wellness component when trying mm-hmm. to become healthy, especially when it comes to weight loss. The wellness and the weight loss are, are tied together. You, it, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, and I really find that this journey to wellness and, um, and weight loss, if that's part of your journey to wellness, is really a choice of self-love. And for, mm-hmm. for this year of 2022, I've chosen the word of choice and the theme mm-hmm. of choice and choosing to really come in and be prevalent because I really feel like it is such an empowering concept to realize that we are making choices for ourselves every minute of every day, even if we're choosing to be unconscious, that's still a choice. And so – Mm-hmm. Like you said, if you're constantly rushed around or even, listen, I'll say, I'll say where I'm guilty here is that when I'm at work at the hospital, I am usually eating on the run. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do not allow myself that, that break time to sit and be conscious and aware with my food. But I can totally see, feel, and know the difference when I'm not at work and I'm really, mm-hmm. I allow myself that space to tune in to my food, be grateful for it, really, you know, mm-hmm. taste all the different flavors and textures and temperatures and all that stuff. And um, so, yeah, I would definitely encourage people, if, if one thing that you could do right away is just make the choice to be present while you're eating and not be distracted. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and that's one of the things, I mean, when I, I, I get a very detailed food diary uh, from my clients, and they're always very surprised because I ask, what, how, what are you feeling? You know, what did you eat? How much of it? What were you feeling? And what were you doing at the time? Because it gives me a lot of information when, I, you know, people eat while they're sitting in front of the television, 
and that they, they tie TV watching to their food, turn off the television, and all of a sudden their food consumption changes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and, and um, I, I mean, I even, you know, with the pandemic, this is a perfect example. All of us have been under some tremendous amount of stress that's been unique that none of us have ever experienced before. And in my case, uh, my father passed away on a Friday. The country shut down on a Tuesday, and my office shut down on the following Friday. And nothing changed. I did. I ate the same things I ate. I had the exact same activity, yet my weight kept creeping up. And I, and I knew it was because of stress. It was because it was mm-hmm. an emotional reaction to all the things that were happening. And so rather than focusing on my eating by cutting back on eating or changing because I didn't need to, I simply focused on my coping mechanism. And as I focused on my coping mechanisms, that weight began to fall away again. And so, um, and in fact, I got so good at it, I actually overshot <laughs> a little bit. So, <laughs> you know, and that's, and, and, and but that, what that's done is that as I go into new situations and new endeavors, like now, you know, starting a new program, and, you know, rather than that stress causing me issues, I just use those same mechanisms to remain calm, to remain um, focused in a way so that, you know, all the rest of my body mechanisms don't get affected. Yes. Uh, you know, that's so true because, you know, like you said earlier, though, usually the weight loss is, uh, is just a symptom of something deeper. And, yeah. you know, whether that we maybe don't feel safe or, you know, maybe we are using food to, like, dampen our emotions in a different way. You know, there's so many different things, and and that is so true about, I've experienced that too with stress, you know, Mm -hmm. like eating what in theory should be helpful, I mean healthy, and then also still exercising, but somehow the weight keeps creeping on. And so, yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we could all say how frustrating that is and, Mm -hmm. and how at the same time for me how refreshing it is to know that just by focusing on the stress, like that can be so powerful mm-hmm. and impactful. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. that's a good reminder for all of us. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you mentioned, your word for this year is choice. And mine is courage. And the reason mm-hmm. um, I, I focus a lot on, on courage is simply because to help people recognize that by making their choices, they are being courageous. I think mm-hmm. that we don't pat our, we don't pat ourselves on the back enough for the things we do. We take for granted some of the things we do because we're we're told we're supposed to do certain things, and so therefore we don't congratulate ourselves when we actually do them. And so one of the components of of what I do is to just I always at the people you know always laugh because um, when I my first question. It, you know, to my, my clients is, how are you feeling? And then my second question was, since we spoke last, what was the most difficult thing you did, that happened about weight at all until the end? Because the weight is secondary. It's all the other things mm-hmm. that we need to address that make more, that, you know, the weight might tell me if those things affected them or didn't affect them, but it doesn't change the fact that something happened. 
And so that's generally my focus and always has been my focus. Yeah, and I think um, by asking those specific questions, too, you really get an idea of where uh, the person is storing those emotions and storing that stress in the body because Mm -hmm. I'm a true believer that, you know, where things manifest in our body in terms of health challenges um, really is a reflection of either our, where we're not dealing with something and, and we're sort of storing it away so that we don't have to face mm-hmm. it. Or we've mm-hmm. had, you know, like a, like a heartbreak or, you know, maybe we feel like stabbed in the back and we are having, you know, back pain or neck pain or, you know, mm-hmm. um, there really is a connection between that um, energetic slash um, psychosocial <clears throat> And our body, for sure. You are a nail on the head with, with your approach Absolutely. To this, sure. and, and in medicine, sadly, sometimes you hear people like, oh, it's just in their head. Well, absolutely. But that's legitimate. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what happens in our head affects our body. So if, it doesn't matter that, you know, we can't reproduce the pain because it's something that's being connected from an emotion in the brain, that's still something you have to address and take care of. And so, and it doesn't make it less real. It just simply gives you the reason. And so, um, and and I've always said this with my, my, my patients is that when they come to me, it's like something's not right. I just feel like something's not right. To me, that is a real symptom. Mm -hmm. It's something that needs to be investigated because people, if for no other reason, just for reassurance that they're okay, you know, so it's like, you know, there, there is a diagnosis called worried well. And so you want someone to be well and they may be worried. So if you can ease their worry, that's still treating them. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of us that have gone through different medical education, whether it's, you know, medical school, pharmacy school, uh, you know, different psychology programs, we are sort of taught that the placebo is not such a good thing. But mm-hmm. I can tell you one of the things that really changed my whole perspective about the power of the mind and in, in its role in our health and wellness is when I read Dr. Joe Dispenza's work about you are the placebo and you do have the power. Mm-hmm. And what a empowering magnificent thing that we can heal ourselves just with our mind now granted along Mm -hmm. the way we might need some more supportive tools to help us but really Mm -hmm. it just comes down to us deciding and making a choice and being courageous to do that yes and having the knowledge to know what those choices should be or what their choices are and Mm -hmm. you know i think that um there is a lot of misinformation out there, and it's very difficult for people to wade through all the noise and to know what's real and what isn't. And unfortunately, it used to be where, you know, everyone, most of the people in medicine were on the same page, and that's just simply not the case anymore. There's still, uh, we've, we've, at least in the United States, we've become something of a celebrity culture, and the way to become a celebrity is to be as outrageous as possible. And unfortunately, medicine has not been spared from that phenomenon. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. it makes it difficult for um, people. It does, yes. And so I think it's so important for all of us out there to find that practitioner that will help, you know, sort of be on the journey with you, guide you through it. I know I have my own um, practitioner that I work with, and, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. every psychologist has a psychologist. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, just because we're in the medical field doesn't mean that we also don't need tools and help and guides and teachers. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but that does bring me to – since you brought it up, the misinformation, do you have like sort of like a top three or sort of your, your pet peeves of misinformation that you want to set the record straight on? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest pet peeves I have is that whatever is wrong, there's something you can take to make it go away. And so, um, and what that has done is it's led to the underutilization of movement. Sometimes it doesn't have to necessarily be exercise, even, you know, Tai Chi, yoga, you know, which are forms Mm -hmm. of exercise, but it doesn't have to be strenuous exercise. You don't necessarily have to sweat for you to get the benefit of movement. And so um, I think that um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves, which also helps in trying to cut through the, the minutia because if you're dealing with someone whose every single suggestion, every single diagnosis is followed by a suggestion that requires a purchase from that same person, more than likely you need to start thinking about the legitimacy of it. Not to Mm -hmm. say that there aren't people out there who are selling, but if every single time something happens, it's, oh, take this pill that you can buy from me. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And so, I, and so that which brings me to my second pet peeve is the, the, the way that many prey on the insecurities of other people, particularly those who are trying to be healthy, who are trying to lose weight, who are very vulnerable because you know, it's an overwhelming place to be. And so having someone say, don't worry, I can hold your hand and walk you through it, is very easy to grab that hand not knowing whose hand it is. And so... Um, and so, so that's another that I would say that my my uh, third is that um, the 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 rejection of real legitimate scientific information over information that doesn't make a whole lot of physiologic sense. And no matter how hard you try, I try to explain that's just simply not how the body works, um, you know, just not being listened to. And then having mm-hmm. to fix the problem when it gets to the point where, you know, it can't be ignored anymore. And so, um, and so the, the, the message there is it is so much easier to prevent something than it is to reverse it once you've got it. And so if you've been told you're pre-diabetic, stop it now um, rather than waiting till you become a diabetic to start treating it. And so, and if your body's telling you, giving you a message, then listen and have it checked out by a licensed practitioner. Yes. Because there are many, many people out there who are health coaches, who are 
you know, uh, coaches of different types who have no background in medicine. Right. At all. Yeah. So, and, and this is one of the things that I like to sort of always put out there is that we should be interviewing our practitioners, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. because really they're, they're part of, you know, our team, but they need, you need to make sure that they are really working for you and in your best interest. So, you know, exactly. what, what background do they have? What education do they have? What credentialing do they have? Are they uh, willing to listen and really hear you? Or are they already coming at you with sort of a, um, a predetermined plan that really has nothing to do with you as the person that's, that's looking mm-hmm. for the help? And so yeah. I also love how you caution against the bye, bye, bye um, aspect. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things I tell my patients, because especially in functional medicine, that sort of, I feel like, you know, there's a, an opportunity to over-test and overspend money when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And so there's a yeah. lot that I feel like that you can learn and with, you know, walking a patient through changing the diet a little bit at a time, like adding in things instead of totally taking mm-hmm. away, um, doing an elimination phase instead of going straight to, you know, the, the multi-hundred dollar food test or, exactly. you know, the different – all the different things, the genetic testing. There, there's so many things. And so I give my patients the option. If you want mm-hmm. to, if you have the money, you want to spend it, great. I can set you up with the testing. If you're curious and you want to sort of get to know your body along this journey, then I encourage, you know, like all the things that you and I have talked about today, like really tuning in, getting quiet, creating space, you know, making those choices with your food making little augmentations and noticing how your body, you can feel your body's metabolism changing um, mm-hmm. along the way. And so, yes, yeah. absolutely. And then yeah. I just, one Especially more thing that I would say, yeah, go oh, ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, no, yeah, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I, you said one more thing. <laughs> I was just going to say yes. that with testing, I was just saying with testing, <laughs> you know, the question you always have to ask yourself, and this is something that, you know, how we're, I was trained and taught, you know, 25 years ago, was is the test going to change what you do? If, exactly. if no matter what the answer gets, you get is going to do. You, you're still going to do the same thing. There's no point in testing. It's just right. For, I totally you know, agree. It, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense, that, you know, to test for things. And um, you know, and having an answer doesn't necessarily mean you could do anything about it. Especially right. if it's genetic testing. I mean, if it's in your genes, it's in your genes. You're still going to have to do the same thing regardless. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Um, and, yes, so the only other thing I was going to say is that when you talked about prevention and, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, it's just so it's so expensive to eat healthy. And it's like, well, you're going to pay now or pay later, unfortunately. If, if, if mm-hmm. your mantra in your head that I can't, I can't afford to eat healthy now, then you're most likely going to find yourself – in a situation where you're paying for medications, you're paying for doctor's visits, you're paying for procedures, you're paying for ER visits. So, mm-hmm. or you're more paying, your more, family's paying emotionally because you're not unavailable because they yes. lost you too early. Yes, and and, and so really the other though, but yes. that's not even true though. That's really not. No, true. it's not. 
You can eat healthy no, on yeah. a budget. It's really easy. I mean, you you know, if you think healthy means that you have to eat fresh fruit, you have to eat fresh vegetables, and you have to eat certain things, then, yeah, it can get expensive. But unless you say, you know, a cabbage is very economical. You know, you can buy a cabbage for a dollar, a little over a dollar, and it can feed a whole family if you add, you know, a bag of beans that are less than a dollar, and then you can, you know, add uh, rice if you want. Um, you don't even have to have meat because if you combine rice with those vegetables, you know, you end up having a complete protein, which is how, and there's a reason why so many um, cultures around the world have rice and beans as their staple because it is mm-hmm. a complete meal. Yes. And those, it's very yes. inexpensive to eat that way. Yes. It, yes. I, I feel like I'm just, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, too, they're, you know, um, eating with the seasons. I think people underestimate how economical that can be, you know, and especially mm-hmm. there's places, you know, in California, we're really lucky because of our agricultural industry and, and it's, it's really a four season industry. You know, there's places in the South that are the same way. So if you can mm-hmm. eat with the seasons, so, you know, have those mm-hmm. wonderful warming squashes and root vegetables now, and those are really inexpensive mm-hmm. foods anyway. And when they're in mm-hmm. season, the price goes down because the farmers need to sell them. And, and then there's also, you know, food box options where if maybe you live in a super cold environment and you're very dependent on a grocery store for your, for your food, or even if you live in a food desert in a very urban environment, there are more and more options because of our technology. Talk about some things to be grateful for is that we can actually mm-hmm. have food delivered to our door that is fresh and inexpensive and healthy for us. And so mm-hmm. one of the services I really enjoy is called Imperfect Foods, and that is actually grocery surplus that you can get yes. delivered to your door. And I can tell you, my husband mm-hmm. and I, we have saved so much money by doing that versus shopping at our local grocery stores up here in and around Tahoe because the cost of food up here is super expensive. So um, mm. don't be afraid to just get on Google and start exploring maybe, you know, food delivery options in that way, mm-hmm. if you, especially like if you live in a place like I do where the cost of living is, is pretty high. It's very high. Or even just making a choice of, you know, you can go to McDonald's as, you know, a family and spend $3 per person on a meal. Or even if you just go to the dollar menu and it's 2 or $3, okay. But if you go to the dollar store and take that $15 to a dollar store, better to eat the canned versions of vegetables than eat McDonald's. You know, you, yeah. you can still, you can, and, and it goes farther. So if you took $15 to the dollar store, because most canned vegetables are like 50 cents at the dollar store, so you can get green beans, you can get corn, you can get peas, you can get all these different foods, get a, you know, a, maybe a bag of rice. And, of course, you know, rice is one of those carbs that you can limit. But if you have a plate where you're, it's, you know, two-thirds vegetables and one-third, um, you know, one-third rice, that's a healthy plate. Throw, mm-hmm. you know, go to the grocery store and find the meat that's on sale, ground meat's often on sale, you know, sometimes 
the sale, the meat that they need to get, you know, has to be cooked by the next day is on sale. And, you know, throw that in, throw that in the oven or ground up the meat, throw some seasoning in it, put it in there. You have a complete meal that's much healthier, that is much uh, less expensive and goes farther. And those are, you know, but it's just a matter of learning those things and having, you know, those problems, having, help, having someone help with that pro- problem-solving process. Yes, yes. Don't be, again, like, don't beat up on yourself about where you are. Like, it is, we are all okay exactly where we are. You have to start from somewhere. So mm-hmm. start with where you are. Be happy that you are coming to a place where you're curious, you're exploring, you're asking questions, you're open to new possibilities and learning new things and making new choices, and just that optimism of, ooh, what good can come out of today and the choices that I will make for myself today. And like you said, when you just change your perspective a little bit, it can be so powerful. And pat yourself on the back. Look for all the things you've done that are good instead of focusing on the things that you did that are wrong, that you think are wrong, because a lot of times they aren't even wrong. They're just you've been conditioned to think they're wrong and they're not. So Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, just love yourself first and then, you know, everything else around you will start to reflect that. Yes, yes. All right. So tell us where um, all your future clients can find you. (laughs) The best place to find me is drtumor.com. That's D-R-T-O-O-M-E-R.com. And um, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, C. Harmon Tumor, MD. But if you put in Catherine Harmon Tumor, MD on Google, I'm the only one there is. So people can find me. Fantastic. And also tell us about your program. Well, I have a group program where I go through a lot of what I talked about today, just kind of busting myths, helping people from where they are. So if they, you know, whatever questions they have, um, I answer them. I also have other licensed professionals and experts in their field coming in to uh, do master classes like sleep, uh, hormonal changes, um, hypnosis, just uh, meditation. So a lot of stress relief information, including financial advisors. Um, so anything that causes people stress, relationships, whatever, I have someone coming in to try and help, you know, deal with that. And then I also do one-on-one coaching. And I have different different tiers of that depending on what people need, depending on what their budget is, and because um, I try to be as accessible as possible. And so, um, so anywhere from like a hundred dollars, you know, there's a way to get in touch, you know, to to help for me to help because I just, um, you know, my my first love is community health and family medicine, and that is where my focus lies. And so I try to make sure that I can be available to anyone who needs me. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tumor, for your time and for your expertise and your insights. And, um, again, you guys can find her at drtumor.com, D-R-T-O-O-M-E-R.com. And my name is Dr. Lara May, and you can find me at drlaramay.com, D-R-L-A-R-A-M-A-Y.com. And, Um, You can sign up for any of my functional medicine or intuitive healing services there. And um, 
thank you so much. I look forward to having you back on. I would love to talk more about the medical divide that you alluded to at the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. This was fun. Yes, awesome. Okay, well, um, all of you out there, we send you off with love and light, and we wish you the best on your health and healing journey. See you next time. Bye. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show.